This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, it's the first day of fall, and you know it if you're here in Buffalo. A rainy, yucky, chilly day here in western New York as uh, the calendar flips to the fall season. Somebody Wasn't hit. expecting this to happen this quick. My God. Somebody hit the light switch, didn't Do we? They? Oh, my goodness. We don't get any kind of buffer zone here between summer and fall. <laughs> what the heck happened? The AC yesterday and the furnace today. Man alive. Goodness gracious. It is uh, it's nasty. Good, it's nasty out on the practice field. Steve and I were out there for a short period of time just before we came on the air. And it's drizzling sideways. There's a breeze out there. It's, it's, so, a little, it's a little raw. It is so nasty. It's a little raw. Steve came out in his polo shirt. What I got on He right comes here. outside. He goes, ah, jeez. It's cold. <laughs> I'm going back in for a coat. I went and got it. I put two sweatshirts on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, na- It was you know, catches you off guard, and then it's even worse, right? We yeah. used to, it's the same thing. And then I mean, you're it, just wet and yeah, cold. Yeah, you, you figure it, it's like in the springtime in the spring. The high school sports around Western New York, you go out, it's colder in the springtime sports here in Western New York in high school than it is in the fall for the football season. Yeah, I would season. agree with that. Because in the fall... Because winter the, never gives up. Yeah. You come out in the spring thing, the sun might be shining. It's like, feels like it's 38. And it's like, you because you, you go out there in like shorts and flip-flops, think it's going to be nice in the springtime. And it's, <laughs> it's, and it's just not. cold. You come unprepared. Yeah. So that's what happened to me today. I was totally unprepared. For I was weather. hoping we could get to at least turn in the calendar to October before we started dealing with this junk. But here it is. Um, so, yeah, players are dealing with that out on the practice field today. And Coach McDermott addressed the media an hour ago and basically laid out that the guys that are not practicing today – are Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Dane Jackson, and Jordan Phillips. The good news is everybody else on the injury report that was first put out yesterday is participating in practice in some capacity. That includes Gabe Davis practicing, Cam Lewis practicing, Dawson Knox practicing after not practicing yesterday, Matt Milano, a full participant yesterday. We expect the same today. Mitch Morse practicing, Ed Oliver, and Tim Settle. So that's kind of where it is, and it's not ideal going into an important division game. We know that. And incidentally, Bill's practice updates are presented by LECOM, Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. Um, Phillips, I would be surprised if he plays. Hamstring injuries are no joke. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he misses a few games Yeah. Um, with the way that thing looked with him pulling up in the Tennessee game on the Milano interception. The good news about Dane Jackson was um, we saw him out there in a red non-contact jersey. He's not doing anything, but just the fact that he's out here with his teammates, man, that's a great thing to see. So that yeah. was encouraging. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there is, a, there is a potential possibility, Steve, that the Bills go into this game against the Dolphins with the most experienced man in the secondary being Taron Johnson, right. uh, the fourth-year man, you know, out of uh, Weber State. Right, Weber State. Yeah. Um, you could have DeMar Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson at safety and the two rookies at the corners. You could have that. 
against the team that's leading the league in passing right now. Now, as you and I have discussed, the Bills do have all of their defensive ends ready to roll. Right. They're getting and, yeah, they're actually despite Jordan Phillips injury, they're actually getting healthier because of a net gain with Settle and at Oliver. at Oliver perhaps being back in the lineup. Right. So that would be a help on the interior. And if that defensive line has most of the horses, I think they can help the coverage. To what degree, we'll have to wait and see. But we've seen this defensive front determine the outcome of the game to a great degree these first two weeks. They completely shut down Derrick Henry last week and they annihilated Matthew Stafford in week one. They yeah. dictated how those games unfolded. And I think they if you have Settle and Oliver back this week, even if you don't have Jordan Phillips, you got three of your top four, namely Daquan Jones, Oliver, and Settle, and then Brandon Bryant, presumably again as a practice squad mm-hmm. call-up. You have those four in the middle and all of your pass rushers on the edges. Yeah. That defensive line could have a similar impact on yeah. this game as we've seen it's them gonna, have on the first two. It's going to be down, it's going to come down to can Tua get rid of the ball in time to to take advantage of a secondary that's got three backups, four backups playing, um, a de- completely depleted secondary. Well, you say that, but you and I were talking. It's like now you think, wow, I am so glad that Christian Benford and Kyrie Elam have been getting a lot of reps in the first two yeah, weeks. First this is not going to be a new thing for them. It's going to be perfect for them. Yeah. They're going to step in, just play every snap instead of every every two series, you know? Right. So that's they're not coming into this thing flat-footed or cold, which is awesome. Nevertheless, it's not Tredavious White, Jordan Poirier, and Micah Hyde out there. Or even Dane Jackson. Or Dane Jackson. So here's the, the synopsis. Uh, you know, Jaquan Johnson, DeMar Hamlin may not be household names even to many Bills fans. But Jaquan Johnson's in his fourth season with the Bills. I mean, he's been in this defensive system for three full years, plus whatever this year. And DeMar Hamlin, you know, what is this, his third year? i got to check that. Is his second or third year? Uh, i got to hear. Hold on. I think he's he was in the 20 draft or the 21 draft? 21 draft. So this is his second year yeah. in the system. Um, <clears throat> but they think a lot of him. And... Those two guys have had time on the field together because they've basically been, you know, the second teamers since they got here. So, you know, how are how, have they ever seen Tyreek Hill on a field before while playing defense? Not really. So that can always be a shock to the system. Yeah, when you haven't seen that kind of speed up close and personal, you can watch it on film. But when it's in front of you, it's different, right? Yeah, and here's the thing, is, though, too, and I was talking to, we were talking about this. Yeah, those guys have never been on the field with Tyreek and, uh, or Jalen, for that matter, Jalen Waddle, for that matter. They, but like you said, Hamlin and Jaquan Johnson, those guys have been in the room with Poyer and Hyde as they're prepared, as they've prepared for the Chiefs and the Dolphins. They've been on the sidelines for those games, watching and hearing the conversations of those guys coming off. Those two guys, Poyer and Hyde, are going to be in the meetings, installing this game plan. They're going to be there talking these guys through it. And they'll probably be on the sidelines of the game talking to them between series as well, giving them, you know, giving them some pointers and saying, hey, don't be careful when you do that because they might get by you, that kind of thing. So they're all in this together. 
no matter which two of the safeties are going to make it in the, onto the field. So it's um, so take heart. Nevertheless, there may not be a more challenging offense for these guys to face in their week one as a as this group head takes the field than than any other team. I mean, it, this is a challenge, no question about it. Yeah, um, Waddle and Hill have gotten almost sixty percent of the targets in the passing game. Tua has not had to spread the ball around much because these guys have been running open. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at their numbers. Hill's got 19 receptions. Waddle has 15. There's nobody else on the roster with five or more. Five is the next highest, and it's Chase Edmonds, the running back. And Gasicki has five catches in two weeks. Mm-hmm. So he's going to the guys that keep getting open. They're breaking games open for them. So the Bills are the best team in the league since 2017 in terms of giving up plays of 20 yards or more, 25 yards or more, whichever one you want to pick, they're still number one. So who who blinks, basically, yeah. is what you're looking at there. Um, you know, it's if, hard. You know, in a normal – if everybody was healthy, you give the Bills the edge. Uh, even if you think it's a push offensively that their offense has really burst and emerged onto the scene and they're leading the league in passing and two is playing well. If, even if you give it a push with the Bills offense, which, you know, which I don't know if you can do, the Bills defense would come into this thing rolling and they would have the edge over the Miami offense, even given Miami's prowess throwing the deep ball. But with the guys injured in the back end for Buffalo, that changes the equation a little bit. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if the guys up front can help the guys on the back end. And, yeah, it's going to make for an interesting game. I'll say that. So we'll just uh, have to see where the matchup goes. Yeah. Other news, uh, this came down from the league office. They have affirmed the one-game suspension for Bills offensive lineman Bobby Hart. For those that didn't hear, he – was levied a one-game suspension yesterday for taking a swing at a um, Titans player on the way up to the locker room in the tunnel, missing that player and inadvertently striking a Titans coach. Um, So those actions were captured on film, and he was suspended for a game. He appealed that suspension, but the league upheld it, so he will miss. Sunday's game against the Dolphins. He was used last week, Steve, as a second tight end slash sixth offensive lineman. Right. You remember last year early on, uh, Spencer Brown was used in that role as a rookie a little bit. And they had other guys in that role. Ryan Bates, before he moved into the starting lineup, was used that way. So interesting that Ken Dorsey went to that against the Titans last week, employing an offensive lineman to kind of go to an unbalanced line with the tight end next right. to him and call plays out of that. He is not going to be part of the equation this week. So there's that. Then <clears throat> we go around the NFL, which is presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we, we've got a game tonight, an AFC North matchup between the Browns and the Steelers. And I think most of us are anticipating a low-scoring affair. 
both offenses with Jacoby Brissett and with Mitchell Trubisky have struggled out of the gate, to say the least. I expect, Steve, a lot of handing off of the football tonight where Najee Harris, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt are going to be awfully busy guys. Yeah, I think yeah, both these clubs. I, I, I'm, I've been disappointed in the way that Steelers have come out. Um, I had a little more faith in Mitch Trubisky than maybe is warranted, but I still don't believe that they're playing their best football. Um, I think the Steelers have got more in the tank. I don't know that the Browns do with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback, but I think the Steelers are going to try and find something they can do and do well. Not going to be easy. Now, Jadavian Clowney is out on the front for the Browns, which takes away one of their bookend tackles. So, I, you know, they're still going to – the Browns will still be able to get pressure, but I think the Steelers will have a plan for it. And I, I just look for Trubisky to get better. If he does, they win. But if the Browns can keep him out of, you know, still yeah. not completing and not being able to go down the field, then, yeah, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's got to do something to get the ball down the field. I would say he has underperformed. Yeah through the first two weeks, and not for nothing, Steve, but playing on a Thursday, if he stinks out the joint tonight against Cleveland, you got 10 days to get the rookie up and ready. Absolutely. And if, if he has a subpar performance and moving the football and scoring points is a problem, Mitchell Trubisky could be out of the starting position by the weekend. Right. They've got – well, yeah, because think about it. They've got the Jets after that on a long weekend, on a long week. On a th they go Thursday to Sunday for the Jets. Could happen. You could get Kenny Pickett in there against Zach Wilson. I could I could see the Steelers getting there pretty quickly if tonight does not go well. I think so, too. And, and I'll say this, though. I, I trust Mike Tomlin to know what's best for that team. And if he says – Trubisky's best, he knows. Certainly there's going to be growing pains with Kenny Pickett. But I'll say this. What I saw from Kenny Pickett in the preseason, he's pretty intriguing. Hmm. You know what I mean? He's got yeah. that ability. Now, certainly he's going to struggle. But you know what? His, he overcomes his struggles the same way Josh did. He athleticizes himself out of it and play, makes a play out of, the, out of his struggles. Yeah. And that's, that's the – it factor for an NFL quarterback. And Pickett seemed to have it in the preseason. So we'll see how long the leash is for Trubisky and it could, how tonight goes could go a long way in determining that. Speaking of quarterbacks, Chargers QB Justin Herbert is listed as day-to-day. -day. He said he's feeling more comfortable in the wake of that rib injury that he suffered against the Chiefs a week ago today. So how effective he'll be in throwing the football, we won't know until we see him. We're not at Chargers practice, obviously, to see how that's going. <clears throat> but torn rib cartilage was the injury, and that is not fun. So we'll see how effective he is when he takes the field again, and we'll see what he's officially labeled on the injury report, you know, questionable, doubtful, whatever. Um, not an easy one to come back from, especially. but he had 10 days, or he will have had 10 days by the time he's set to go out on the field again, so we'll see what that does. Yeah, the, the thing is, he'll probably feel really good, and I don't know what his situation has been in practice. And, for the, you know, there's you know, a lot of people out there who didn't play football know what it's like to get a rib injury. 
you feel really good after, you know, like a week or 10 days. But as soon as you do something strenuous, yeah. you get a quick reminder. Like sneeze. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the first couple of days, a sneeze or cough. Oh, it's awful. You can't even go to the bathroom without it hurting. So after about 10 days, you feel like, okay, you're kind of feeling back to normal, but not realize you haven't done anything strenuous. Right. And then you, you get out of bed in the morning, you stretch, and it's like, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it hits you. Yeah, forget about... Forget about throwing a ball. Throwing it to the far hash. Exactly. On a 15-yard out. Right. Trying to gun it into the yeah. window. But, I you mean, know. you gotta, you got to turn your whole torso, drive your hip through the ball. Yee. So we'll see. I mean, he it may not be that bad. Now, he finished the game and there was no breaks. But, man, oh, man. Something to keep an eye that on. Makes a, that, may, that rib injury makes a coward of you. Quick. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on for sure. And then there was this report, Steve. I don't know if you saw this. The 49ers thought that they were going to have a trade partner in the Washington Commanders for Jimmy Garoppolo. They really thought that's where he was going to end up. Right. Based on the conversations they had with them in the offseason. And then Washington turns around and swings a deal for Carson Wentz. Now, the Niners are probably thanking their lucky stars they didn't do that now. Right. In light of Trey Lance's season-ending ankle injury. Um, and so Garoppolo is probably right where he should be back in the starting lineup for the 49ers. So just saw that and found that interesting. I don't think it was unusual. A lot of us were saying Seattle and Washington were the most likely locations for some of these guys that could have been on the move. So it's not shocking. I'm just wondering why it's coming out now. Yeah. I wonder it's earth. It's not earth shattering that those conversations were taking place and it's, I guess it has become more common given the you know the social media nature of our society and the way the league is now everything comes out sooner or later because agents talk but it doesn't surprise me that those conversations were taking place I want to know the nitty-gritties of why it didn't happen who got involved and why they said no yeah what was the tipping point and why is it Carson Wentz now instead of Jimmy Garoppolo um I want to know. I want to weigh those. Those are the interesting things to me. Why did one deal go through? Do you the like other? one of those guys better than the other? Wentz always has the higher ceiling, but, but he's it's, inconsistent. But it's a roller coaster with him. Yeah. Garoppolo has a his ceiling is known. Yeah, and he's limited. The, but the floor is good is a little higher. If you have a good roster. You wish the floor was higher, but it's not. You have to have a good roster around him to maximize what Jimmy can do for you. He's gotten to the... If you have an average roster, right. he's not raising the level of other people. He's do you know got, what I'm saying? He's he's gotten to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with the team as the starting quarterback, and he's gotten to the NFC Championship game as a starting quarterback. That's pretty good. Um, now, certainly, Washington doesn't have that kind of roster for him to plop in the middle of and all yeah. of a sudden take off. But Wentz, to roll the dice on Carson Wentz, that's, I think that's gutsy. Hmm. Depend, now, that's why I want to know. I want to know why they said no right. to Jimmy Garoppolo and why they said yes to Carson Wentz. Who knows? It may be a mystery for all time. Maybe. And, and a mystery that, you know what, really doesn't bother me if we find out or not. <laughs> I'm not, I will, not that high on the priority yeah, list for me. I will sleep me. soundly tonight not thinking about yes. it. 
we wanted to pass along the initial comments of Coach McDermott today as he addressed the media just before he went out on the practice field, kind of gave the 411 on the injury situation. So we're going to uh, let you listen into that. Here are the first few minutes of head coach Sean McDermott today addressing the media. Okay, I'll give you the uh, injury update right now. So these players will not practice. Uh, Jordan Phillips, Dane Jackson, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer. Uh, and then the rest uh, will be out there in some way, shape, or form. So with that, I'll turn it over to you with your questions. Uh, foot. So given what you just read there, um, how concerned you've got to face an offense that you did what Miami did last week? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we believe in the, uh, in the next man up. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have those guys out there. We'll see, we'll see how it works out here. Yeah, again, I'm just like I said earlier, I'm not going to get into the specifics on these guys, but just they'll be out there in some in some capacity, Catherine, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Sean, was the decision not to walk through yesterday, was that planned or was that based on kind of all the injuries you got Monday night? Uh, just a little bit of both, a little bit of both uh, coming off the short week and trying to get the guys some rest and then uh, some of the injuries also, yeah. It's one thing to watch film and listen to your coaching staff, but how, how valuable, or I guess, or how much of a factor is Kyir and Christian never facing a guy like Tyreek Hill, maybe play into the challenge, the added challenge of going up against him? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a you know, once-in-a-lifetime player with his speed and his ability to, you know, go up for the contested catches and everything, and they've got tremendous speed on offense. Um, you know, they put up a lot of points, and and uh, they do a great job offensively, scheme-wise, and the co and uh, Mike does a great job putting them in position to be successful, and and um, so it'll be a big challenge for us. What kind of growth have you seen from Greg Rousseau here uh, early in the season? Yeah, um, you know I think Jay has really picked up where he left off last year. Uh, very conscientious, uh, you know, hard worker, very detailed. He's a pro, um, so. I think he's really making good progress and he's playing confident football and um, you know he and Vaughn have a good relationship as well and that's that's helped as well. What have you seen from that relationship? That was gonna that was gonna be my follow up yeah. question. What have you seen from that relationship that has maybe benefited Greg? Well I, I think just um, you know seeing it through the eyes of the helmet uh, is how I like to say it, right? The perspective that a veteran player has uh, that's seen a lot of things flash in front of his face. You know, here's, you know, an overset. Here's a here's a player, uh, a blocker that's you know, profiling you this way. Um, you know, chips and, and things that come into play. So just, I think on the field at least, Jay, just some of those things that come through experience and and uh, you know, coaches. We, we've got really good coaches that said the that that extra gravy on that and the detail that can come from a player like Vaughn. Uh, it just helps immensely. Sean, similar question to, to AJ Epinesa. We've talked you know, a lot about how it took him a little while to get going, but do you see in year three um, the progress you were hoping to see from him? I see team? momentum really with that whole group. Um, I do. I, I think, uh, I mean, you know, we've had a couple injuries there. Uh, overall, when, when healthy, though, I see mo good momentum. Uh, good progress development with, with that whole group, and, and I think 
um, they each they each have their own core set of strengths and, and bring something different to the table, which is which is healthy for us. Outside of the, uh, what you just said there, specifically in that Vanessa, what do you think maybe he has made the most improvement on to get him to where he is right now? Well, well I, I think it starts with really being comfortable uh, with the system in terms of what he's been asked to do and, and being able to execute that fast. Um, so that comes over years of getting more and more comfortable with, with the job description, if you will. All right, so there's Coach McDermott kind of addressing some of the things and concerning the matchup this weekend with the Dolphins. And I think he said it more than once. You know, with Waddle and Hill alone, you've got one of the fastest offensive units in football. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, and I think the thing they're doing different with Waddle this year than in past years, you know, working him out of the slot, he would work a lot of the short underneath areas. And now they're putting him in a position to get more yards after the catch. They're running him on longer routes. Um, and they're using play action an awful lot. I, I was surprised because look, if you look at it on, on its face, it's like, ah, they use play action every once in a while. Then I looked it up. They're leading the league in play action snaps. So a lot of motion. I don't think there's any other team that uses pre-snap motion more than them, Steve. Right. And to this point in the season, it's two games, granted. They have more play action snaps than any other team in football. They're trying to make life as easy as possible for Tua to make decisions, and it's working. Yeah. They're just giving the defense a lot to think about pre-snap so that they can do enough things offensively before the ball is put into play for Tua to get as much information as he can about what defense the Bills are in or their opponents are in, you know, the Ravens or the Patriots. they got to make the defense declare what it's doing so Tua can get a head start mentally and know where he's going to throw the football. That also helps, you know, dictate the motion pre-snap also helps the Dolphins dictate the matchups they're going to get def offensively. So if they can put Waddle in motion to to the same side as Tyreek or away from Tyreek or use Gesicki in some way, shape, or form, they can kind of figure out by trial and error and by film study too, they'll know going into the game what matchup they're going to get on a given play and, and exploit it. So uh, that all goes into the stew for the Miami offense, but yeah, they they rely heavily on run fakes to get guys open and to give Tua some time. Um, it it takes away from the pass rush if people are jumping on the run game. Um, now, if you put now there there there's no magic elixir, so if they're going to do that a lot, there are things the Bills can do to counter that in a big way. So. We'll see if the Bills can pull that out. So they, that what they'll do is they could send pressure into the run formation uh, to you know stop the run, and then on the way to the, stop the run, you get to the quarterback. So uh, that kind of thing. Um, there are two sides to every story and every tactic in the NFL. So there's no magic elixir that's going to allow Tua to be an MVP quarterback. He's going to have to play a multitude of different ways to to play well. And teams are going to start forcing him to play left-handed. Left-handed. He is a left-hander. How about that? They're going to have to force him to do things he's uncomfortable doing right. and do them well. Um, that's what it is. And right now, with Mike McDaniel, 
I mean, Brownie, you and I know, both know this. Nobody knows exactly what this thing's going to look like with Miami this year. Right. Is it going to look like the 49ers did, you know, with all their play action and their zone run, or is it going to be some hybrid of it, and how is it going to look with Tua running it rather than Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo running it and with the offensive line that the Dolphins employ rather than the Niners? Um, all of that stuff goes into the mix, and we don't really know exactly what that's going to look like yet. Well, yeah, because if it doesn't look good, he's tossing it out and he's trying something else. Right. So – it is a wait and see. It's only a two-game sample, which isn't really enough to go off of to determine definitively this is what they are. But early returns have been good for them. We have to take a break here, though, because when we come back, we're going to be joined by ESPN fantasy football guru Field Yates, who's got his week three lineup ready to roll for us. And it's brought to you by FanDuel. Field Yates coming up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And joined now by the man who has, uh, congratulations, Field Yates, our ESPN fantasy football guru, just signed a contract extension with ESPN. Of course, we got to read about it in Variety Magazine, of all places. Congrats, Field. Thanks, guys. You know, not quite Josh Allen money, but very happy to be staying <laughs> uh, with ESPN long term gotcha. and uh, hopefully leading to many wins on the fantasy field like Josh is doing for the Buffalo Bills on the real NFL gridiron. That's yeah, right. Absolutely. So ultimate fantasy lineup with Field Yates is presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. And let's begin with uh, the week three lineup here, Field. The Detroit Lions have given up a boatload of points this season so far, so I'm not surprised to see the quarterback you picked here. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, a little preview. I want as much of this Lions-Vikings game as I can get. Really? And that begins with Kirk Cousins at quarterback. Did not play well on Monday night, obviously, but some of that was not his fault. I don't know how much of the game you guys got to see as obviously the Bills were playing for the first half of it, and I'm sure you're doing your post-game coverage in the second half of it, but Kirk Cousins had – what would have been a 73-yard touchdown drop right through the wickets. Irv Smith Jr. He had other plays where his receivers did not do nearly enough for him, so the box score looked worse than the performance was. But more importantly, the Lions are scoring a lot of points and letting up a lot of points. Kirk Cousins priced at $7,600 is my quarterback for this week. And that's all about the – you think this Detroit Vikings – you know, the Lions-Vikings matchup some, is some sort of magic. You think there's going to be some big numbers in this game? Yeah, I sure do. And we'll have a couple of the wide receivers in this game in our lineup. That much is for sure. But uh, Cousins, I think, is a reasonable play. Jared Goff as well, but Cousins was my preference here at quarterback. And I'll run right into the running backs. Uh, it's Josh Jacobs for the Raiders. It's been a weird start for this entire Las Vegas Raiders team. They're 0-2, which is not the expectation for a team that spent all that money this offseason and there were some question marks about whether Josh Jacobs would remain the guy. You guys may recall during the Hall of Fame game, the very first game of the preseason, he was playing, which not normal for a guy that you expect to be a big part of your offense. It was mostly third and four stringers beyond that. He's playing then, he's playing now, as he has 29 of the 34 carries by Raiders running back so far. And you guys saw this Tennessee offense and defense more than the defense in this case uh, up close and they're struggling to do a lot well right now. That includes defending the run. The Bills didn't have to run it all that much last week, but the Titans are allowing 
Uh, nearly 6.5 yards per carry to opposing running backs so far this year. I suspect that Josh Jacobs will be able to move the ball pretty effectively this Sunday. And I'll also mention Damian Pierce for the Houston Texans. They play the Chicago Bears in a game that I think will be relatively low scoring. Another one of these offenses moving the ball at a high clip at this moment. But at $5,800, you're getting a reasonable price point on Damian Pierce. And in week one, Rex Burkhead played 49 snaps. Damian Pierce played 19 that number went in Damian Pierce's favor, 37 snaps in week two, 21 snaps only for Rex Burkhead. So you're getting a guy who's probably going to be the starting running back at a reasonable discount when you see how many running backs are going off the board at a higher number. Right. Yeah, a high-volume guy for sure. Wide receiver. All right, this is where you jump on the Vikings-Lions bandwagon. Let's do it. Back-to-back wide receivers that have been absolute stars. Justin Jefferson is first. $9,500 is the price point. It's a big one, but seems reasonable enough to pay off. You guys have watched this Lions team in back-to-back weeks really struggle to defend the pass. This past weekend, they couldn't contain really any of the commander's wide receivers. Curtis Samuel had a huge day. Jahan Dotson scored again. Terry McLaurin had a decent day as well. Wouldn't surprise me if the Lions allowed Justin Jefferson to basically do whatever he wants. And as we saw in week one against the Packers, that can be extremely, extremely valuable in fantasy. Meanwhile, Monroe St. Brown, who just keeps on going and going and going. I'm sure you guys are aware of it right now, but for those that may not be, with eight catches on Sunday, Monroe St. Brown will become the first player ever, ever, with nine straight games of at least eight catches. He's mm. been incredible. Uh, the Bills have a really, really good fourth, former fourth-round pick wide receiver that looks like the real deal in Gabe Davis. The Lions have the same thing. They've got a guy in Amon Ross St. Brown that slid through the cracks to the fourth round. He has been unbelievable this year. I'm stunned. He's still priced at only $7,800, a clip below that elite tier of receivers. It includes the likes of Stephon Diggs and Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyree Kale and Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. This guy's the real deal. Uh, and my third wide receiver, this one's where we get some value because you got to find some value, right? It's Ashton Doolin for the Indianapolis Colts. He can fly. Had a good week this past week filling in for Michael Pittman. I'm not so sure how this Colts team is going to do on Sunday against the Chiefs. Well, I think they're going to lose big, but that could be a good <laughs> thing for fantasy, right? Right. Because if you're down big, you're throwing it a bunch. And uh, the Colts, gosh, guys, what about talk about disappointments. I think that they might be at the top of the list so far in the NFL. The Bengals also come to mind at 0-2, but – the Colts at 0-1-1, one one. they've been a tough watch. If Michael Pittman does not play, it only means more opportunity for Ashton Doolin, and he paid off this past week. And then we, there's been a lot of rhetoric coming out of Atlanta about Kyle Pitts and how he has not exploded onto the scene, given the fact that there are there other weapons. But you think he's going to – Kyle Pitts at tight end is going to finally get some numbers and because there has been a lot of saying, hey, you know, Arthur Smith's been drilled by the media saying, hey, what about him? What about Kyle Pitts? What about Kyle Pitts? And he's finally saying, okay, okay, kind of we'll get him the ball. That's kind of gold for fantasy owners, right? Yeah, I got to tell you what, Steve. Um, I have a very, very, very long-held belief that coaches, general managers, scouts – assistant coaches, you name it, know so much more about the game than I do. It is never my job to sit here and tell you that I know what these guys should be doing more than they know what they should be doing. But I believe, my heart of hearts, that Kyle Pitts needs more than two catches and 19 yards per game because week one, two catches, 19 yards. Week two, two catches, 19 yards. That feels unfathomable to me, right? I mean, a guy who, if you were to do a draft – for a decathlon amongst NFL players, 
Kyle Pitts might be the first overall pick. Maybe him or DK Metcalf, maybe Josh Allen, right? I guess both Josh Allens would be good picks, yeah. the Buffalo and the Jacksonville version. But that's the kind of athlete he is. He's a one percenter in terms of athletes. And he has been what feels extremely underutilized, in my opinion. And I'm doing this. I'm trying to manifest it. I don't want to sound like one of those tarot card readers right now, <laughs> but I'm trying to find a way that if I say it enough, it'll translate to the Falcons throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts a bunch this week. I could use it selfishly, but I think the fantasy football community could use it. And I think the Falcons could use it because they're 0-2 right now. And if they don't get more offensively, it's going to be a long season. As uh, Steve and I were kind of going through our preparations for Bill's Dolphins this weekend, the amount of target share for Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill compared to the rest of the Dolphins receiving core, I mean, it dwarfs it. I mean, there's nobody on the team with more than five receptions after Waddle and Hill. So I got to imagine the volume alone makes him an attractive flex. That's exactly right. And I think you're at, you're kind of risking stepping in into or onto the Hornets nest facing the Buffalo Bills defensively. Uh, but as you guys know, I mean, if there is an area that right now is a bit of a depth concern for the Bills, it is cornerback. Uh, obviously, no Tredavious White for at least two more games. And so glad to hear largely positive reports surrounding Dane Jackson, but a scary moment for a guy who's been such a good player for them over the past couple of years. And all of a sudden, your depth feels a little more tested. And the Bills in the first two weeks of their season – you know, no one has an answer for Cooper Cup. So I'm not saying they did an ill job. They didn't do a terrible job defending him, right? No one can defend Cooper Cup. Uh, but this will be an interesting test for them on Sunday. It's the best one-two punch they have faced so far this year at wide receiver. And Waddle's just really good. I mean, the guy looks like the player that we thought he was going to be coming into the NFL. And while it's hard to imagine to uh, repl replicating last week's production all that often, you know, he's playing with some confidence right now. So you don't need a six-touchdown day for this Miami offense to pay off. You need just a normal day for Jalen Waddle to pay off. Right. And then you come back to the Green Bay Packers defense playing against Tampa Bay, which has got to be a little surprising for some people. Uh, Tampa Bay with Brady, certainly they have, yeah. you know, they're, they're off to a, maybe a rough start. You know, why are, Green yeah. Bay and Tampa? I mean, is this a, a an Aaron Rodgers play here, or, or what's your reasoning? This is – yeah, this is an opportunity maybe for the only time in my life to have a defense starting against Tom Brady and feel okay about it in fantasy football, right? I mean, Tom Brady's projected top ride receivers for right now could be Russell Gage, Brashad Perriman, and Cole Beasley, who was unsigned at the beginning of this week. Uh, so it's a different Buccaneers offense beyond the fact that Mike Evans is guaranteed to be out and Chris Goblin and Julio Jones could be out. Something that's changed in a major way this year from last year is that, as you guys probably know, over the past two seasons, no matter what the circumstances were, they could be up by four touchdowns with two minutes to go in the fourth quarter. The Bucs might still have thrown the ball last year. This year, it's a very, very, very different approach. You know, the Bills are a team, as you guys know well, that they're going to throw it as much as they feel like throwing it because it's working. They don't have to have a 2,000-yard you know, runner for them to be a really great offense. The Bucks were that way the past couple of years. And this year, if you go to what we would call neutral situations, you know, within seven points, 
either ahead by seven or seven points or behind uh, by seven or fewer points, they're still running the football so much. And because of that, the opportunity to score 35 points in a game decreases dramatically. So the Packers, a rare defense that you're okay starting against Tom Brady. Yeah. Well, they got to figure out their passing game. So use the running game in the meantime to try to win football games. And with Aaron Jones and uh, the big kid, Dylan, man, right. I mean, yeah. it worked last week in a big way for them. So yeah, the, why not the keep on keeping scored, They've scored 20, 19 and 20 points respectively in weeks one and two. And it's, Usually that's not enough to win games, but they're getting it done. Yeah, their their best offense might be their defense right now. Their right. defense has scored a touchdown. They've only allowed one touchdown through two games. Uh, that's a heavyweight battle right there. You put the Bills offense against the Bucks defense in a seven-game series, I'd pay money to see that because the way those two units are playing right now, I mean, that's about as good as it gets on both sides of the ball. Right. All right, that is the ultimate fantasy lineup. With ESPN Fantasy Football Guru Field Yates, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Thanks very much, Field. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Field. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, good luck down in Miami, right? We're playing them. It's down it's in, in Miami, Miami yeah. In Miami. In Miami. Hey, stay cool down there, will you? Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll be hydrated. Don't worry. All right, guys. All right, that's Take Field care. Yates joining us here on One Bills Live with his weekly visit with the Ultimate Fantasy lineup. You can go to FanDuel.com to put your lineup together. Uh, and you can make every moment more. Uh, we have to take a break here. When we come back, one of the most unusual things you've ever heard surrounding a college student and their college football team. We will explain when we return. You're on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Like connecting with the fans is important to me because it shows that I care about them. You know, I care about them. I care about them cheering me on. You know what I'm saying? Through good and bad, you know, ugly, I'm still with them, just like they're still with me. The fans were a big part of, big part of my decision of resigning. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Isaiah McKenzie here, aka Lil Dirty, aka Face of the Franchise. Um, I just signed my contract. I'm so, I'm so excited to be back, and um, I can't wait to get to work. It's nothing like Bills Mafia. I'm saying that stadium is loud on Sundays. We played a big part in, you know, coming back. The latest edition of Beyond Blue and Red premieres tonight on the Bills YouTube channel, Facebook page, buffalobills.com, and the Bills app. Get an inside look at what makes Buffalo Bills receiver Isaiah McKenzie so unique. From his award-winning barbecue restaurant to coaching girls flag football, always finding time to engage with the fans and the community. It's a, a, an in-depth look. And a little dirty <laughs> on Beyond Blue and Red, premiering tonight. So check out all the uh, Bills team platforms online, and you'll be able to catch it tonight at 7 p.m. So if you're a fan of a little dirty, let her rip. Steve, oh, yeah. a most unusual story that I need to share with you. We go out to Salt Lake City for this one, Steve, where a Utah college student, threatened to detonate a nuclear reactor if the Utah Utes lost to the San Diego State football team last week. The student was a 21-year-old woman, and she apparently posted her threat on the anonymous social media platform Yik Yak. Now, according to the police report, 
The student said she would detonate the nuclear reactor located on the school's campus if the University of Utah football team did not win their game later that night. Fortunately, the Utes won 35-7. to But the, the, um, the person making the threat in this story, the 21-year-old female student, she's an engineering student at the school, attends class in the same building where they house a very small nuclear reactor. According to the report, it's only about the size of a microwave oven. But that doesn't change the fact that uh, she has now been booked on second-degree felony charges of a threat of terrorism. How does engineering students are usually pretty intelligent, right? Book smart, obviously. I mean, I, not street smart, though. People, what are you doing? People are nuts, man. Absolutely. There is no bottom and why to how is, deep but, the human condition will take us. This defies any and all logic for me. It really does. Like, you got your whack-a-moles out there that might do something like this. A 21-year-old engineering student. I mean, you're months away from graduation, and you're going to throw it away because you're worried about the football team winning or losing? Yeah. Like, what? That does. Somebody's got to help me with that. That one. does speak to at least a slight, a slight problem with their priorities, if not a catastrophic problem with the priorities. Um, I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm dumbfounded by it. I really am. You're an engineering student. You got a bona fide. We need engineers in right. this country. That's like STEM. That is That's like, like science, st- technology. You step and, out of college, you step into a job. Engineering and mathematics. People are coming after you. You're not going out seeking an employer. And you're worried about what? The, the football the, the team spread, losing to San Diego State. The point spread of the Utah State, San Diego yeah. State football game. I just, we are we are lost. I read the headline. I'm like, this is a joke, right? Right. Like, this has got to be a joke. And then I was like, oh, damn, there is a nuclear reactor on the Utah campus. She and was then, serious. So then what's the blowback? Now the Utah school officials are like, yes, we do have a nuclear reactor on campus. It's only the size of a microwave. It's been since here since 1972. Yeah, it's been it's here a, for 50 yeah. years, you know. We save on heating bills with the <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whatever. But, it's just yeah. It's a great. It's a it's a teaching yeah. mechanism, right? You got teaching a, tool. Yeah. yeah. So, and there's all and believe me, I've read the article too. There's there's a ton. There's layer after layer after layer of security and safety precautions around this thing. Oh well, you can't make threats like this. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you don't have to follow through. You just putting that out there. They're coming down hard. So you will be so mad. Like the feds are going to be in on this. You know what I mean? Like, well, let me just say, if and well, they should. I mean, you're talking about and well, that's they domestic be. terrorism. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, that that's like nine. That's like a thousand different laws that have been broken. The, to me, I don't know what they are, but that's well, domestic just, terrorism is, is one of them. It's starting with it's just plain wrong, right? And so. <laughs> This 21-year-old engineering student, her career's over before it started. What is she doing? Yeah. I was I was blown away by that. Like, like I said, we all know we got our share of wackos in this country. You know, we have more than our share. Let's that might it. consider something like that. We but have a more 21-year-old engineering. I mean, I was just. 
over a listen, football game. We're the world leader in wackos. But yeah, it's yeah, even the the spectrum of our zaniness here is being Tested. expanded. Yeah. yeah. Tested every day. The entire as we see. Yes, we are seeing things that are beyond the ends of our spectrum right yeah. now. I I I was just I, I had to read it twice. I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around that one. I was just like, really? An engineer? I couldn't believe it. All right. I, I think we've spent more than enough time on that. But I just, I had to put it out there because I was just like. Listen, I think you and I realize, I mean, as, as much as we care about this, because it's our job. We're, we're, this is us. We are doing this for our football team. Football, yeah, yeah. Right? But we're in the toy department here. Yeah, I know. Right? I mean, we're. Well, we're, that's we're, why when I see someone like an engineering student. Yeah. venturing into this world Science, with that kind of a technology, threat, like, engineering and mathematics stem is that's like the business end yeah you're going to be successful that's, if you just stay in your lane that's important stuff right yeah <laughs> that's not that's not, not what we're doing the over under on the jacksonville houston game yeah right i i couldn't believe it that's all right amazing crazy crazy story we have to take a break here when we come back we'll get some info on what has made the Dolphins so successful out of the gate under Mike McDaniel from our good friend Armando Salguero. He's coming our way next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Our number two here on a Thursday as we close in on the week three matchup between the Bills and the Dolphins. First division game of the year for the Bills. I think, yeah, and for the Dolphins too. Um, oh, no, they had no, the they Patriots. Had they had the Patriots, Patriots week yeah. one. Uh, first division game for the Bills. And then they don't have another one till like week 12. So go figure that on the schedule. But to talk more about Bills-Dolphins with us, is Outkick senior NFL writer Armando Salguero joining the show. Good to have you back, Armando. How you doing? It's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Always. It's it's like a cool breeze yeah. entering my Florida life. Yeah, well, <laughs> we got plenty of cool breezes to share here on the first day of fall in western New York that uh, came in like a roar. Um, so I'll be all too happy to get down there this weekend. But let, let's begin here, Armando, with the Dolphins. So... Tua looks completely changed, like everything just clicked into place. How much credit do you give Coach McDaniel for that, you know, with the institution of the pre-snap motion and the play action to kind of make life as easy as possible for him? So let me back you up a little bit, Chris, if I may. Sure. Tua looks completely changed for one half of football, mm-hmm. okay? And they've played eight. Oh, excuse me, they've played uh, two and four. So 
he looked like the same Tua in the opener against New England. He looked like the same Tua we've seen before in the first half against Baltimore. In the second half, and especially in the fourth quarter, he went off. And that looked amazing. And so the question now is, is that fourth quarter Tua, is that the one that the Dolphins are getting the rest of the season? Or was that a one-off and, you know, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I'm not ready to, you know, just say everything we've seen for the last two and a half years is wrong and what we saw in the fourth quarter is right. Um, having said that, it was it was pretty amazing. It was Dan Marino-esque. Yeah, and it, it looked as though maybe, and I think in the, if you spin it to the positive for the Dolphins, maybe that's what one game against the Patriots is what it took for them to find out how the best way to use Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill together and uh, Gasecki and those guys. And maybe that's how long it took Mike McDaniel to realize, hey, if we got these guys, we got to air it out and just cut it loose a little bit. Is there a, you know, a prevailing thought that they finally figured it out with these guys and they're just going to throw it deep a lot more than they've been, they have in the past? My gosh, yes. I mean, that team, it's a track meet. You know, there is no covering Tyreek Hill deep uh, unless you are, you know, too deep the entire game and just refusing to let him do that. But then the other thing is the Dolphins have other weapons. Waddle is also a speedster. Uh, you know, Mike Gesicki is a red zone threat. Even when Tua throws it, you know, 12, 12 yards uh, higher than his head because he'll catch it, as he showed. It's uh, it's it's a pretty impressive playmaking group that they have gathered, and you know, it would be bad news for a team perhaps that has some secondary injuries. And yet the volume has overwhelmingly gone to Waddle and Hill. I mean, there's no other player on the team that's got more than five catches. Um, and I guess if those are the guys getting open, well, hell, throw it to them. Um, is there anything that's being said about spreading the wealth or they're just saying, well, as long as they keep getting open, I'm going to keep chucking it to them? Yeah, absolutely. Defenses will decide that, right? So eventually defensive coordinators will say, hmm, I'm not thrilled with Tyreek Hill catching 10 passes in a game and Jalen Waddle catching 11. Let's maybe, you know, shut one of those guys down and, and take our chances with Cedric Wilson and others, the check down perhaps. Uh, but that will be decided by defensive coordinators and how they, they cover these guys. It's interesting because the Baltimore Ravens came into this game kind of beat up in the secondary and kind of young in the secondary. And Marcus Peters playing his first game and they didn't really uh, act like they were too afraid of the Dolphins, you know, getting behind them. And guess what? The Dolphins got behind them a lot. Why do you think it took at least maybe a half for the Dolphins to figure it out? Or did the Baltimore Ravens just kind of turn it off? I mean, I know there was a couple of blown coverages 
uh, that led to the long touchdowns. But nevertheless, uh, the Ravens did get up on top of them by 21 going into the fourth quarter. What led to that? And why, you know, even the third quarter, uh, the Ravens were still making some hay. Yeah, for, for three quarters, it was the Dolphins' secondary and defense that was curiously absent. You know, they uh, they they were struggling. And all of a sudden, in the fourth quarter, desperation is a is a wonderful thing. If if you start to be desperate enough and you start to do things you haven't done before, you might get results you haven't gotten before. And that's exactly what happened with the Miami Dolphins. Meanwhile, the, the Ravens, they didn't stop scoring now. I mean, they had like a a 60-yard, 70-yard run from the quarterback position on an RPO. You know, that's hard to do. <laughs> uh, right And right off tackle, no less. And so they were doing – they didn't lose that game on offense. It was definitely, you know, the defense that – I don't know if they shut it down or they didn't expect uh, that the Dolphins could go off like that. I don't think anybody would. But now, um, you know, it's out there. The narrative is out there. Tua is the second coming of Dan Marino, and those two receivers are impossible to cover deep. What, flipping around to the defensive side of the ball, Armando, what is going on with Miami's pass rush? Um, They've got problems here. I mean, they're 31st in the league in pressure rate, and yet – They've blitzed 39% of the time, the sixth highest rate in the NFL, and they have two sacks and seven quarterback pressures to show for it. What, what's missing there? Well, they expect Jalen Phillips to be great, not good, and he hasn't been good yet. Um, that, that's problematic. Jalen Phillips, for Buffalo fans, is, is the player, the, the University of Miami, you know, pass rusher, that the Dolphins picked 18th, and then the Bills went later on and picked Greg Rousseau from the University of Miami. Those two guys were at the University of Miami at the same time, chasing ACC quarterbacks. So he has to be outstanding, and he hasn't been. And eventually, I think we talked earlier about how defensive coordinators decide to do things to take stuff away. Well, for example, the Ravens worked all offseason on stopping the Dolphins' zero blitzes and other blitzes. And so when you work on it for that long, it starts to be second nature, and it, you know their blocking up front was pretty good. What do you think – so why did Miami – Continue to, did they stop doing that in the fourth quarter? Did Miami change their tactics during the de- game to get back in it? Did, you know, and what have they done to try and help this defense get back to where it was? Certainly, you know, Xavier Howard and and uh, uh, you know, the other corner, you know, not being healthy that changes. Has, Byron Jones, yeah, Byron Jones. Uh, what did Miami? What's Miami doing to shore up? You know, the problems they've had defensively. Well, they had a lineup change at you know it in the at the nickel corner in game, in and the way Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator, has explained it is, he's thinking of his nickel corners as pitchers, 
And oh boy. the thinking is certain pitchers are better against certain batters, and then they're worse against other batters. And he decided that Nick Needham was not good against the batter that the Baltimore Ravens were putting up against them that day. So what they'll they'll switch in and out. The Dolphins did try the blitzes early. They got blocked. Again, the Ravens are a pretty well-coached team. John Harbaugh, you know, is not a schlub. He knows what he's doing. He's pretty, you know, accomplished as an NFL head coach. So they figured it out. And the Dolphins, you know, obviously stopped doing it because it wasn't working. Yeah, but so you've got Xavier on one side. Byron Jones is going to miss a couple more games before he can come off reserve PUP or IR, whatever it was. And, I mean, Nick Needham was in there at the start. Now you got the undrafted kid, Cater Kohu, who's rotated in. Is Igbenogany like a forgotten man? And, I mean, how are we – what are we looking at back there when they go to the sub packages? Yeah, <laughs> when, when you mention – Noah Igbenogany, Dolphin fans cringe a little bit hey. because he's had some difficulties since being drafted in the first round right. uh, a couple of years ago. So that's an issue. Here's the problem. When you have a secondary that's a little banged up, and then as you discussed earlier, and we discussed earlier, the pass rush is not getting home. That's a bad formula. The Bills have a secondary that's banged up, but their pass rush has been amazing. Right. And so that kind of covers things up a little bit. When you've got those two problems together, um, huge problem. What do you think the plan is for the Dolphins against uh, this Buffalo Bills defense and and? and offense as well. I mean, is this that we're thinking that this may be like a 55, 53 kind of game. Yeah. It'd be smart for the dolphins to plan on making the bills punt yeah. because I haven't seen too many of those this yeah. year. Right. right. Yeah. Two. Uh, it, it's like, what is up with that? Um, I get it. Josh Allen is great. And to a, was asked about Josh Allen, and I believe he mentioned the word beast like five times in the span of 30 seconds. And he is. He's a beast. Mm. And as he goes, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. As he goes, that team will go with or without Gabe Davis. You know, it's just they, they overcome on offense. It's their defense and their secondary that, that I think about and I assume that the Dolphins will attack. Mm -hmm. Offensive line for the Dolphins, Armando. We know Teron Armstead's not practicing again today with that toe injury. How much does that kind of upset the apple cart, especially knowing they only have eight linemen on the roster? I'm, I'm assuming they've got practice squad guys they can call up, but what happens if Armstead doesn't line up at left tackle on Sunday? I think he's going to play. Um, it would be a bad day if if he can't, because you have to remember that would mean they go with a backup left tackle and they're already playing Greg Little at right tackle and he's the backup right, right tackle. Austin Jackson's uh, on IR, so, right? E exactly. So um, 
when you have your two edge blockers, <laughs> neither one of them starters, and on the other side is Von Miller and Greg Rousseau and and everybody the the Bills bring up the middle. <laughs> not not a great script for the Miami Dolphins if that happens, but I don't believe it's going to happen. Yeah, no, it has been the thought up here from, you know, 1,500 miles away, it seems like the, the passing game for the Dolphins has been centered around the ball coming out of Tua's hand pretty quickly. Um, that's always a problem for the pass rush because even if they get – even if they beat their guy, the ball's gone before they can actually even run a wind sprint to the quarterback. Is that still what they're trying to do? And I saw the, the – you know, they work play action quite a bit, more so than any other team. They at least try to keep the run game involved that way. How has that worked so far um, outside of that, you know, the second half of the Baltimore game when they were clipping guys deep? Right. So that's the irony of it all. The plan, the, the desire of the Dolphins offense coming into the season and even coming into their two games is, uh, you know, get the ball out fast. And they were doing that. But in doing that, you're not really stretching the defense. And so it, it looked very much like previous Dolphin offenses. It was, frankly, kind of pop-gun offense. Uh, and then they got, again, desperate. They were down 21 in the fourth quarter. And so they had no choice but to wait for the longer, deeper routes to develop. And lo and behold, they developed. And they figured out that, Wow, Tyreek Hill's pretty a pretty awesome deep threat. And Jalen Waddle, when you don't throw him, you know, 25 bubble screens, he's he can get down the field too. He's he's pretty amazing. So what we've seen is almost like, and you have to remember the Dolphins have a new coaching staff on offense, uh, including their head coach, who's their also their offensive play caller. So He's learning, on, they're learning on the fly based on what they're seeing. And now that they've seen the possibilities of going deeper and waiting a little bit longer uh, to, to release the football, I would imagine they're going to be a lot more willing to intersperse that into the, right. you know, give to a, get the ball out of to his hands in two and a half seconds. Right. Last one I've got for you, Armando Concerns, Mike McDaniel. How would you... Describe his impact, his influence, and his approach, you know, as the new guy on the block here with this crew, especially knowing he inherited half of his coaching staff pretty much. Right. So Mike is the antithesis, basically, of Brian Flores. Brian Flores, the previous coach, was a tough guy, my way or the highway, um, hard coaching, um, not too willing to bend type of guy. Mike McDaniel, what he has done is, first of all, he's basically adopted Tua, befriended Tua, encouraged Tua. He's like Tua's older loving brother as much as the head coach. And that's working with Tua. Whereas Flores was more of a, you know, kind of like a, a taskmaster. And you have to do more. And this isn't good enough. And I'm not pleased with this. And so it's worked for Tua. 
it's worked for a lot of the players, frankly. But I would have to say to you, he's undefeated. And all of that works when you're undefeated. I don't think they're going to be undefeated this year. Right. I don't think he's going to be undefeated as a coach. So what happens when you lose a game or two or three in a row? Now, now how do guys react to you? And how does the friendship coach, how does the, the, the relationship guy, how does that fly in the locker room and how do players react to that? That's the unknown. Yeah, I would agree with you. That no, it is. It's been all you know, sunshine and roses now for a two and zero start, particularly even in a division where you beat the Patriots right out of the gate and then have a fantastic comeback in week two. Um, yeah, it, some adversity is going to hit every all of these teams. The Buffalo Bills are kind of waiting for that shoe to drop this season as well. It'll be interesting to see how Mike McDaniel and this crew uh, handle that when it hits, as just like it'll hit the Buffalo Bills as well. Armando, thanks. It's great talking to you. Thanks for coming on with us again as the Miami Dolphins and the Bills play again. We'll probably have you on later in the in the year as well. <laughs> Sounds good, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, that's Armando Salguero, senior NFL writer for Outkick.com, bringing us up to speed on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I try to, you know, new head coaches in this league, history says, generally do not have a great deal of success their teams are rarely in the playoffs their first year on the job because they're usually inheriting a mess. You know, right. a roster that's, you know, not uber talented. Um, maybe it's got a salary cap purge that has to happen and you're not getting a full complement of roster talent. Uh, and there's a lot to fit together. And sometimes when you inherit members of a coaching staff, as McDaniel did here, because the vast majority of the defensive staff is still intact including defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, you know, there are some bridges to cross there before you get everything lined up the way you want it. Right. But out of the shoot here, McDaniel has made it work unconventionally so, especially last week, you know, going down 21 points right. before staging a monstrous comeback. But I'll say this, though, as well. I mean, we've seen it a ton. Brownie, I, I, we say this all the time, and it, and it gets illustrated every time something like this happens, and this is no different. When one team turns off the emotional content of what they're doing, when they yeah. try to get out of the – they think the game is over before it's over, and they leave town mentally and emotionally and just kind of go through the motions physically, the other team becomes desperate and as talented as all NFL teams are, every last one of them, as talented as they are, when they're playing against a team that's out there to practice rather than play – they make hay, and it doesn't take long to fill it, fill it up, which is what the Dolphins did to the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, um, That's what we saw again. It's what we saw in the greatest comeback game. That's what we've seen in game after game, comeback after comeback. Three games last week had huge comebacks, and yeah. the Jets did it to the Browns. With you know, 155 with, left. With inside of two minutes. So when a team shuts it off in this day and age, it costs you the game. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. It just happens too quickly. If you shut it off too early, it costs you the game. And that's what happened to Baltimore last week. Yeah. Now, certainly Miami, when you get guys like Waddle and Hill on the outside and they're going against guys who are just kind of coasting, that it's toast. Yeah, good night, Irene. It is absolute toast, every offensive play. The Bills are off the practice field, and we do have news from the locker room. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, who did practice today, 
was asked how optimistic he is that he will play on Sunday against the Dolphins. His answer, 100%. Okay, that works for me. Uh, we did hear Stephon Diggs in post-game press conference after the Titans game. He said then that Gabe was really pushing to play this past Monday, um, but was held out of that game. And actually, that proves to be the wise decision because it looks like he will, in fact, be able to play on Sunday based on his characterization of how optimistic he is. 100% sure he's going to play. So that's certainly good news for Buffalo's offense. Now we need about a half dozen guys on defense to feel the same way, although I don't know if the timetable is going to line up. We will take a break here, though, because when we come back, we will have Josh Allen and Von Miller ready to roll, addressing the media after practice today. We'll have that for you next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we're back. One Bills Live. Time for us, though, to go to the post-practice mic stand where one Josh Allen is addressing the media. Yeah, every every game's different. Um, every season's different. You know, they're they're playing really well, um, especially the defensive side of the ball right now. So uh, we got to be prepared for whatever they can throw at us. And uh, we know, you know, usually during these division games, they, they throw in a different wrinkle that maybe they haven't shown on film and try to break some tendencies. Um, so again, that's that's again that's football though. Uh, so we got to be ready. Um, you know, we've had a good good week on a short week trying to put together a really good game plan. Guys are actually getting back to health. Um, so it, what it, it is what it is. You know, we're going to have to have guys step up and, and play next man up football, and um, that's the nature of this business. And, you know, we, we trust the guys in this building. Um, but, yeah, got to go out there and execute. No, I mean, they, they do a lot of similar things from last year. Um, obviously, they got a couple new guys up front um, that are playing well. But, again, they statistically, they're the most pressure. You know, they bring the most pressure in the league. Uh, so we got to find ways to whether it be block it or get the ball out quick and not allow uh, that to dictate our game plan. Um, and that's that's kind of what it is. You know, they, they, they are who they are, um, but they're, they're dang good at what they do. So uh, we got to be prepared. We've uh, we've been around each other a couple times. Um, most recently, we were at the F1 in Miami and just talking to him for a little bit, and uh, he was there with some of his teammates. But everything, again, I was with Dable, and Dable was with him in Alabama. And I mean, you can't say a bad thing about the guy. You know, he's and he's the nicest person. Talking with him, um, you know, very very family and friend oriented. Um, so again. Um, he's playing really well right now, and uh, I said it on the on the the basement podcast yesterday. Um, you know, it's it's tough to do when you've got so many people down talking and, and naysaying, but it's tough to tough sometimes to quiet it out. But he's done a good job of that, and he's um, it's paying dividends right now. You know, he's going out there, he threw for you know six almost six hundred what was it six hundred yards or six touchdowns, like something something crazy. And those those are video game stats, and um, you know our, our defense has got to be all hands on deck for them. You went through that, Josh. You went through a lot of people doubting you a lot when you came out. You were very polarizing. It took a couple of years maybe for you to elevate your game for enough people to realize that. 
So what is the message when you have a younger quarterback that's kind of going through those growing pains when you talk to them? I mean, it's just, it's um, brave the storm, you know. Um, that's that's really all it is. And he's done a good job with that. And you're, you're seeing, you know, the success starting to happen. Um, and again, um, I'm happy for him, like as just as a, as a person, as a human. Uh, and the competitive side of me, you know, is our rival. And um, that, that comes second. But... Um, like I said, our, our defense has got to be prepared. They're, they're playing really well on offense too, and you know, with the new system that they got put in, um, it's going to be a it's going to have to be a complimentary win. You know, we're going to have to do our part on the offensive side of the ball and um, allow our defense to, to make some plays and um, you know, like I said, play smart, complimentary football. Are you aware of your success against Miami, or is that not something you think about? It's not something I really think about. Uh, like I said, every Every week is different. Every season is different. It's got a different flow to every game. You're in different situations, um, you know. And I think Coach McDermott just does a good good job of preparing us for those situations. Um, but yeah, the all that stuff that has happened in the past, it, it doesn't matter. Come come Sunday, it's a completely new ball game. Anything can happen. Um, that's that's why we play the game. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, the relationship that we have, it's, you know, I consider it awesome. He's one of my, my better friends on the team, and, uh, you know, I love everybody. But Mitch, you know, just seeing him grow from when he got here, it's been unbelievable. He's a team-voted captain now, and um, he just does everything right. He's got the right attitude. He makes things right on the field for us. Um, the, the way that we communicate and the, the way that he communicates to the offensive line, um, it's pretty special. So, um, you know, we got to continue to grow in that aspect, though. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, just be, be ready for that. What's that communication? What's that kind of How does that go down in the work? Yeah, um, I mean, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> That peanut butter jelly sandwich is still up there. Um, yeah, I mean, me talking with him, you know, in the protection meetings and just kind of getting an idea of, you know, what we're going to call, the terminology that we're going to use. Um, I have to line the scrimmage, like, if it's going to be loud, running up and like, hey, this, this, this. And he's got to recognize what I'm calling, relay it so I can get back, get my foot up and go. Um, but he's he's phenomenal at it. You know, going in, would it be individual games? Is it just... I don't want to say feel a little bit different, but the goals that you guys have as a team and needing wanting to win the division, just does that add an extra edge? Um, I mean, it's it's the biggest game of the season because it's the next one. Um, that's I know that sounds cliche, and you're not gonna like that answer, but um, it's it's the truth. You know, there you got to win your division games. Um, we know that, um, but they're they're also feeling that way, and, and they know that they got to win win these games as well. So it's gonna come down to uh, whoever plays better on sa Sunday morning, Sunday uh, afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Cromer and, and our offensive line have put together a pretty good game plan for, for the run game. And, you know, it's just us going out there and executing and putting a hat for hat. Um, knowing who we're IDing, going after that, and then the running back seeing the, lane, the lanes and, and hitting them. So um, I got I got no doubt in my, my mind that we're capable of it. Um, but, again, it, it all comes down to Sunday, uh, 1 p.m., you know, executing it and, um, you know, making sure that we're sticking to it.
At one point yesterday in the second and third quarter, you threw the ball in 21 straight plays. Do you relate to Joe to relate to Ken, like, feed me, like I'm feeling it, keep calling pass plays, or is that, do you have any impact? Well, it's, it's, I think it's a product of um, knowing the situation. <clears throat> and when you do that, when you call so many passes in a row, you're either down a lot or you're really, really vibing um, on offense. And, you know, allowing that to sometimes be your run game, whether it be a check down, um, a quick a quick pass here and there, you know, just methodically moving the ball and keeping the clock running, that's that's another way to do it. You don't always have to run the ball to be effective in the run game. Um, so that's kind of the, our thought process. Sometimes our, our passing game can help and be our running game when, when need be. No, it's it's awesome. The guys get pumped for it. Um, you know, everybody sees that. It sees, you know, and it was, I believe that was the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of starters already taken out. He had to, you know, given the rules in the NFL, you can only um, dress so many guys. So some guys got to stay in there, and for him to go out there and, and do that, and just have the still the hunger and the drive to go out and execute a play, um, you love to see that, especially from your one of our, our veteran leaders, guy that's been here, um, you know, maybe the longest on the team, longest tenure on the team now, I think. Um, so yeah, you, you love to see it from a guy like that, just going out and busting his tail, and um, you know we love him for it. For what a one o'clock Sunday game feels like. <laughs> For this team going back to last year, haven't played at that time. Yeah, it's a little bit of an earlier morning, um, for sure, but less sitting around, less thinking, waiting, and watching. Um, so, just allowing us to get up, get ready, and put our pads on and go. And uh, we got to be prepared, you know, Saturday night. And when we wake up Sunday morning, um, we got to be ready to play. To have it going from a Thursday to a Monday and now a Sunday. How how has that adjustment been for your for your routine? Yeah, I mean we got a lot of good leadership in this locker room. Guys like Vaughn, Jordan, Micah, um, like I said, Dion and Mitch, guys that have been around and, and played a lot of these different types of games. Um, so some of the younger guys relying on them, just figuring out what the schedule is throughout the week, how to get my body ready for Sunday on a short week. Um, so you know we're just relying on on those guys and. Uh, you know, Coach McDermott's been helping us out, you know, with no pads and yesterday kind of being a lighter day. So um, just trying to find a way to get back ready for Sunday, and that's just that's, that's a weekly thing. Yeah, I mean, the guy that's extremely reliable. He's, um, you know, he's faster than you'd think. He's got the deceptive speed. Um you know, and he's got the, the luscious locks, the long hair, touchdown Jesus, what we call him. But he's like, again, he's just the most, I think, even kill dude on the team. He's never high, never low. Um, he's just willing to do whatever's asked for him, whether it's going down and getting a safety or, or you know, edging a defensive end or taking the top off the defense, running a, a clear route. And then you see his ball skills on the go route, um, third down, picking up a huge third down for us. He's just consistent. He just does what he's told. Um, he's he's always there, and he knows what he's doing, and you can really trust guys like that, and we really trust him. All right, so that's Josh Allen addressing the media after practice. Somebody's got to get him a bottle of water. He's choking <laughs> on his, the remnants of his peanut butter and jelly sandwich there. Somebody throw him a water bottle. Jeez, I, yay. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, we couldn't hear the some of the questions. Yeah, kind of have to def infer what the questions are as to the, what the answers come forthcoming, but it's always good to hear from Josh after practice and 
and to hear, you know, Gabe Davis says he's going to be 100% and all the stuff that goes with Dawson it. Dawson Knox was added to the injury report as right. a new addition yesterday, but he was practicing today, so that's a good sign. The offense is not the problem this week. It's the it's how many people they're going to have on the field on the defensive side of the ball. Certainly, right. if Oliver and Settle can come back from injury, missing last week's game, that will help because I think it's unlikely that Jordan Phillips plays. And then Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, they are up in the air, and those are two safety blankets that you'd prefer to have out there. No knock on Jaquan Johnson or DeMar Hamlin, who are their replacements if they can't mm -hmm. go. They've been here. They know this defense. Um but with guys that are new to Tyreek Hill on the field and the speed he presents, it's a shock at first. It is. Uh, and you have to adjust to it, and quickly. Otherwise, he's putting seven on the board for the bad guys. So right. that's, that's the thing you concern yourself with a little bit. Of course, if the Bills pass rush up front can help you know, mitigate that and mitigate them being exposed all the better. Yeah, one of the things about this game, too, is that if the Dolphins do sense that the Bills' pass rush is superior um, and they got to get the ball out fast, what you kind of look for from Hyde and Poyer is their ability to recognize by formation and personnel where Tua's first read is going to be and jump it. Yeah, shut that off. And when he takes that snap, backs two steps up, turns his shoulders and starts to release it, if he senses Poyer or Hyde or another defender coming in between him and his target, he's got to stop, pull the ball down, and go to his next read. And by the time you do all of that, someone's theoretically, in somebody's in your ear hole. Exactly. You're on your back. That's the way it has been. That's the way it was last year in the first line, in the first matchup with the Bills. They sacked him to get him off. They sacked him twice in the first series on first and third down. Yeah, then they sacked him on first down in the second series, and he was out. Yeah, A.J. knocked him out. Um, they hit him three times in the first four plays of the game, offensive snaps of the game, and that's where you want to be as a defense. But that's because this back end of the defense was all over his first read. Now right. you got now you don't know if, if those guys are on that same page and able to make those reads. But I think we can agree that the pass rush is better. Absolutely. And may need less help on the back end to be effective. So – it's going to be an interesting balance. Mm. We know that the Dolphins are using their backup right tackle, Greg Little, who afforded himself pretty well. I thought he played pretty well last week against Baltimore. You know, he's been in for Austin Jackson, who is on IR right now. It looks like Teron Armstead's going to go, whether he's 100% with that toe injury. We'll find out pretty quickly. Yeah. You say, oh, how big is a toe injury? Well, when you got a kick slide as an yeah. offensive tackle that's 330 pounds, yeah, your toe is pretty Connor, important. Their center, Connor Williams, moved from guard to center, and they've been they've given him kudos as to how that transition has been, his willingness to embrace it. But Armstead being out, Armstead's long in the tooth, but that experience counts for a lot, particularly when you got a guy like Vaughn Miller coming up at you. Um, but if he's not in there, Miami's offensive line is going to be hamstrung further. Um, yeah, and, and so it's Miami's offensive line and their injuries and their depth against the Bills' secondary and their, and their, injuries. their injuries and their depth. Um, both are going against the strength of the other team on that side of the ball. And in case you missed it, Xavier Howard, their top cornerback, is practicing today. He has a groin injury he's dealing with. Did not practice yesterday, but is on the practice field today. We'll wait for the official injury report to come out to determine his level of participation. 
We take a break here. Steve and I will wrap things up next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Join Atwal Eye Care for their LASIK and Lager event on Tuesday, October 4th, 5 to 7 p.m. at Highmark Stadium. Attendees will receive exclusive giveaways, refreshments, and get the chance to have all their LASIK questions answered by the official ophthalmologist of the Buffalo Bills. So that's coming up Tuesday, October 4th. Coming up quick. Yeah, quick. As we... The twenty. This is the first day, twenty first of September, right? Is no, twenty second. Twenty second. Yesterday was the twenty first. Yeah, it's slipping away. Moving That's quickly. We always say about the season. We were looking so forward to the LA game, and all of a sudden, it's boom! It's Miami. It's week, week three. Week three. Um, weather down there. Eighty five is the forecast for Sunday, and you know, do on they the ever field, have a different forecast? I, I, I don't think so. Um, that is a cut and paste forecast, on the field. I'm sure. It's typically warmer than that, um, as we know, and they always put the visiting team on the sunny side of the field. Um, but, yeah, Sunday, actually 87 now is the forecast high, 40% chance of thunderstorms, which is par for the course every single day as well. Right. Um, but as you said, less of an issue in warmth than in cold. So. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of these guys, I think, would take the heat over the cold Absolutely. any day of the week. Absolutely, man. Can't wait. All right, we're back with a big show on Friday, as we are every week, including Greg Cosell. We'll see you tomorrow at 1.